Yes, Father, for you are worthy of our praise, and we are so grateful to you, Father. Lord, this week we as a nation gather together and we acknowledge what we are thankful for. Lord, we as your people, we as your church today are thankful not only for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but Father, we are thankful. We are a privileged people to be able to gather together in your house today, to be able to lift our voices in praise, and to be able to open our Bibles and study your word. Lord, we we acknowledge that there are millions around the world who doesn't have that freedom, doesn't have that blessing. Lord, may we never take for granted this time. Lord, now that we open our Bibles, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd open up our understanding. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, as the psalmist prayed, show us great and awesome things from your law. Father, today we ask that you would do that as we look at a very difficult chapter in the Bible. But we know, Lord, you have something special for us. So today, we give you our attention, and we're quick and careful to give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, and together we'd say, Amen. You may be seated this morning. Praise the Lord. As Gilbert said, and just as a reminder, we're not having Sunday night Bible study this week. Uh, uh, because of the holidays, some of us be traveling and things of that. I'm sorry, Wednesday. Did I say Thursday? Sunday. We're having tonight. Tonight we are having study. I'm sorry. But Wednesday we are not. <laughs> well, as I said in my prayer, we've got a difficult, very interesting chapter that we're looking at today. In fact, um, all week I kind of I told God, I'm just going to skip chapter 10. And he wouldn't let me. <laughs> so if you're visiting today, Kind of hold on. Give us. <laughs> because the Bible tells us, Paul told Timothy, that all Scripture is inspired by God, it's breathed by God, and it is profitable. And then he lists all the things that the Word of God can do. Well, sometimes there are some hard things in, in the Word of God. Amen? And as we're studying our way through the Bible, we're in the book of 2 Kings, and we're up to chapter 10. And chapter 10 is one of the, uh, the bloodiest, gruesomest, uh, chapters in the entire Bible. Now, chapter 9 was very rough also. Where What we're seeing is that God is... Well, let's stop there. You got your Bibles open? You got Second Kings chapter 10? Look with me. Let's read verse 10, and that kind of sets up the key to this whole chapter. Second Kings 10 verse 10 says this, Know now that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. Uh, for the Lord has done what he has spoken by his servant Elijah. The key to all this is this, friends, is that God's word is true. God's word will come to pass and not one word of God will fall to the earth, right? Now I'll talk more about that when we get there. But what we had seen here is God is using a man by the name of Jehu to bring judgment upon the nation of Israel. Because of the house of Ahab, Ahab who was the worst king they ever had, his, his wife uh, was the wicked Jezebel. She was a, a very bad influence. They took the whole nation down uh, in morality. They brought bell worship. They brought all these perversions into the land. They did away with the priest. They perverted what few priests were still there. And it was just terrible. God was bringing judgment. And one thing about our God, and aren't you glad of this God will always send a warning 
God sent a man, a prophet, to Ahab to give him warning. And Ahab repented, right? But then Ahab's repentance was very short-lived and he went back to the life that he was living before he repented. Apparently Ahab uh, believed in once saved, always saved. Oh, Clay, don't get started on that. But we, <laughs> but we see that he went back to his ways. And so now, after not heeding the warnings that God gave, God is now bringing judgment. How many of you know that, that our God is a merciful God, right? But he's also, he's also a just God. And a just God, uh, there's consequences to sin, right? The, the wages of sin is death. Now, if you've read the whole Bible, you know that. But God always gives a chance, and he gave Israel a chance. He gave Ahab a chance. He gave them a chance. They blew the chances. So now through this guy, Jehu, God is bringing judgment to the house of Ahab and Jezebel. We saw that they had mocked God. They persecuted and killed the prophets. They persisted in idolatry. They turned the nation into an immoral people. And now they're reaping the seeds that they had sowed, and Jehu is bringing this judgment. We saw last week that uh, Jezebel was, uh, was killed, and now he is, he's cleaning up everything. And that brings us to our text. If you're with me, let's start reading 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 10. Now Ahab, again, he was the wicked king who was deceased. He had 70 sons in Samaria. Wow. Imagine what Christmas is like around that house. 70 sons in Samaria. And Jehu wrote, now he is now the king and he's cleaning up all the mess. He sent letters to Samaria to the rulers of Jezreel and to the elders and to those who were rearing the, the sons of Ahab. Now the sons of Ahab, they were adults. They weren't all little children. They ranged in ages. And he writes to them in verses 2 and 3. And there, here's what he writes. He says, Now as soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses and fortified cities and also weapons. Choose the best qualified of your master's sons and set him on his father's throne and fight for your master's house. What he's saying here is, okay, uh, God has sent me to deal with this. Ahab now has 70 sons. You pick out which son you want to be the king. You've got your kingdom. You've got your army. You've got your cities. You've got everything that you need. You select a king and send him out and we'll, we'll take care of this like men right and they freak out they don't want to do that look at verse 4 but they were exceedingly afraid and said look two kings could not stand up to him how can we stand and we just saw last time we were together in chapters uh, uh, 8 and 9 that he defeated two kingdoms and that's how he gained control so they said we can't come against this guy verse 5 and he who was in charge of the house and he was who was in charge of the city and the elders also and those who reared the sons sent to Jehu saying, hey, we are your servants. We'll do whatever you tell us, but we will uh, not make anyone king. Do what is right in your sight. They're basically saying, we acknowledge your position. We're not going to, to try to fight you on this. We will be your servants. We're not going to try to, to uh, place one of Ahab's sons on the throne. We'll do whatever you want. You're in control. And so he says this in verse 6. And here's where things get man, kind of rough. He says in verse 6, so he writes him a second letter and he says, Well, if you are for me and if you will obey my voice, take the heads of your men, your master's sons, that's 70 of them, remember, and come to me at Jezreel by this time tomorrow. Now, this is very gruesome, but we see back in that day, 
that was the ultimate um, proof of death. If you have your enemy's head in a basket, there's, there's no way this guy's coming back, <laughs> right? And so uh, he says, if you're really not going to try to put Ahab's throne back together, you bring me his descendants, bring me their heads. Uh, the ultimate death certificate, you could say. Verse, I'm still in verse 6. Now the king's sons, 70 persons, uh, were with the great men of the city and those who were rearing them. Look at verse 7. So it was that when the letter came to them that they took the king's sons and they slaughtered 70 persons and put their heads in baskets and sent them to him in Jezreel. Verse 8. Then the messengers came and told him, saying, They have brought the heads of the king's son. And he said, Lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. This would be a, a, a public announcement as you walked into the gate of the city. You see these two, two piles here. And uh, if you know anything about road signs, that says danger ahead. <laughs> Come on, it's a bad story. I got to try to help it out a little bit here, right? Yeah. But that would be a good warning, right? This is what happens to anyone who's trying to come against Jehu. Verse 9, So in the morning that he went out and he stood, and he said to the people, these are all the people who gathered together, the leaders and all the people, he said, you are righteous indeed. You've, you made the right choice. I conspired against my master and killed him. Speaking of Ahab and, and his people, he said, but you have killed all of these. In other words, you have made your stand with Jehovah through his servant Jehu. You've made your proclamation. Now we're ready to do this thing. Now we get into this verse that is, is really our verse for the whole, whole study here. Verse 10. Let's read it again. He says to him, Now know that nothing shall fall to the earth of the words of the Lord which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. Now this has been a number of years. It's recorded in 1 Kings 21. But God's word comes to pass. There are a lot of scriptures that I can share with you that, I do, that I've shared with you in the past about how we can assure uh, our life with the word of God. But I've just got one to share with you today. For the overhead, please. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. Great scriptures for us. And always remember this, friends. No matter what situation uh, you're going through in your life, please remember this. For as the rain comes down, haven't we had some great rain? Right? Our desert needed it. We're going to have some more next week, it says. But as the rain comes down, the rain comes down for a purpose. And the snow from heaven, and they don't return there. Right? Rain falls down. It doesn't fall up. But waters the earth. The purpose of rain is to water the earth. And the earth then will bring forth and bud, the, make the plants grow. That it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. That's why the rains were so important. When God wanted to judge the people, He'd cut off the rain, right? right? So the rain's got a purpose. It's going to produce something. But check out what God says. Here's, here's what's important for you and I, friends. God says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. Jehu said, not a word of God is going to fall to their... It, God's word isn't empty. And here God is saying through Elisha, the word that comes out of my mouth, just like rain, it shall, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the things which I have sent it. 
Friends, we study the Word of God here. You're always hearing me say, don't let a day go by that you're not reading the Word of God. You're not meditating on the Word of God. You're not, you're not in the Word of God. Base your life on the Word of God, right? You guys hear me say it over and over and over again. This just backs that up. The Word of God will not fail you. And just like, just like the rain accomplishes what God sent it to do, sometimes the rain washes things clean. We see the flood of Noah's day, Right? That rain got rid of the trash, got rid of the sin. God will send his word and scold you. You ever been scolded by God? Don't raise your hand up and don't elbow your husband. But right? Sometimes God's word like a refreshing rain will revive you. Man, I was struggling with something and God sent me this awesome word. Maybe I just heard it in a song or I heard, I saw it on a little placket I have in the office or whatever. You know, you just get the word of God and it's just what you needed, right? God's word is so powerful and it won't fail. And that's what Jehu is saying. Hey, it's taken some years, but what God said through Elisha is coming to pass. Friends, in the sincerity of my heart, just as we see Jehu bringing the judgment of God, we read in our Bible that Jesus Christ is coming back again. The Apostle Peter says that people will mock that thought because it hasn't happened yet. People today are mocking God. Thinking God isn't real. God has no strength. God has no plan. That's part of God's plan. And friends, we can bank on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And just like Jehu, we've got to put a stop to sin in our life. We've got to take the head off of that, that thing that will come up against us and try to uh, 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 uproot us, right? Just like, just like these 70 sons. We've got to take sin serious. He had them stack them at the gate. The gate was a, a place of, of, of importance. That's where the city hall was. That's where the judges were. That's where decisions were made. Friends, we need to lay that down at the gates of heaven and say, God, take care of this for me. Does that make sense? Because not a word from God will fall without a purpose. Well, let's go back to our, our study here. Verse 11, so Jehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab and Jezreel, just as, as uh, he was supposed to, and all his great men and his close acquaintances and his priests until he left none remaining. Now, a little side note here. We don't find it out until later in our study, but Jehu kind of goes overboard. He was told to, to get rid of the house of Ahab but he's thinking he's going to do God a favor and he starts wiping out other people. And this is going to get him in trouble. Look at verse 12 through 14. And he arose and he parted and he went to Samaria. So he's going back home. And on his way at a little place called Beth Eked of the shepherds, Jehu met with the brothers of Ahaziah, king of Judah. And he said, who are you? Now these guys, they don't know what's going on. Okay. And they, they're cruising, and they said, hey, we're brothers. We're the brothers of Ahaziah, and we've come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother. We're on a royal visit, keeping communications open. They don't realize that Ahab's family has been wiped out. Jehu is now in control. This is a very uh, honest and innocent, normal situation that would happen between kingdoms, right? And so we're going down there. So verse 14, Jehu says, we'll take them alive. So he takes them alive and he kills them at the well of Beth Ekron. 42 men and he left none of them. 
Now, this is not what God told him to do. In fact, he gets in trouble for this. For the overhead, would you please put Hosea chapter 1, verse 4. Look what God says about this. Hosea 1, 4 says, Then the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Where did he kill these 42 guys? In Jezreel, right? He killed men he was not supposed to kill. And God said, because of that, I'm going to avenge the innocent blood and I'm going to bring an end to now the kingdom of Jehu because Jehu disobeyed me. Friends, this will not be politically correct, but God does not approve the shedding of innocent blood. He doesn't ignore it, and he will do something about it. Here he, here he gets in trouble for that, and it'll take a few years, but it will happen. Verse 15 through 17, Jehu is still on his rampage. Verse 15 says, Now when he departed from there, he met Jehudah, well, I've been practicing this guy's name. Jehonadab, the son of Rechab. Now, little side note, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. This Jehonadab, he was the founder of this religious group called the Rechabites. His dad's name was Rechab. They were a reform movement that was very big and gaining popularity in this day because they stood up for Jehovah and the law of God. They were very moral. They didn't like the way Ahab and Jezebel was taking the nation. They were standing up against all these perversions. They were standing up against Baal worship. They were doing all of this stuff to bring the people back to Jehovah. And what Jehu is doing now is he's trying to get this guy's endorsement. That would be like a minister today. Uh, well, he couldn't do it today. I was going to say getting Billy Graham's endorsement. That'd be hard today. Uh, but that's the kind of thing that was going on, right? And so... He comes there, and he meets him, and he greets him, and he says to him, is your heart right as my heart is right towards your heart? In other words, you know, are we in agreement about God here? And Jehadab answered, it is. So Jehu said, if it is, give me your hand. They're in agreement on it. He gave him his hand, and he took him into his chariot. Now, that is a form, a gesture of being in agreement, being of one mind. Okay? Both of them have the purpose of bringing the nation back to Jehovah. We're going to find that Jehu, as we've been seeing, he's got a couple uh, flaws in his armor that leads to his downfall. But he's still kind of on the right path here. So he brings him up here. And look what he says here in verse 16. So he says to this guy, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So he had him ride in his chariot. And once again, he's trying to get this guy's endorsement as a man of God as a leader of the people of God. Now, 300 years after this situation, this group is still around and strong as ever. Would you put on the overhead, please? Jeremiah 35, 6-10. This is very interesting. But they said, this is, uh, God is using these people as an example of godliness and holiness. Check out what happened. And they said, we will drink no wine for Jonadab, the son of Rechab. That's the guy we're reading about, right? This is 300 years after this. Our father commanded us saying, you shall drink no wine, you nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house. 
sow seed, plant a vineyard, or have any of these, but all your days you shall dwell in tents that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. Thus, we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charged us. And again, a reminder of what he told him to do, not to drink wine all the days of your life. We, shall, we nor our wives, nor our sons, nor our daughters, nor are we going to build houses for ourselves to dwell in, nor will we have vineyards, fields, or seed, but we have dwelt in tents, and we have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, had commanded us. Go ahead and leave that up. Why did he command them to do this? And why is God saying it is good that they did this? Well, here's why. They were not to get comfortable and connected with the things of the world. They weren't to build houses. They were to live in tents so they could pull up stakes and move whenever God told them to move. Right? Why were they not to drink wine? That stirs churches up nowadays because they were not to be inspired or moved by anything other than God right it was the spirit of God that was to move them and influence them not the spirits of the world okay so they didn't do all this stuff now God said and uses them and their dedication and their devotion as a positive influence for people in uh Jeremiah's day and also our day. Now check this out, people. Put verse 19, same chapter, verse 19 up there. Check this out. Still talking about these people. Because they lived a holy life, because they were dedicated to God, because they shunned wickedness and evilness, here's what God says to them. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall not lack a man to stand before me forever what does that mean train a child in the way that he should go and when he is old he will not depart people say i'd do anything for my kid to follow the lord jesus are you willing to live a holy life yourself are you willing to shun sin and follow god regardless God said, these people are totally dedicating me. They, they, now, this doesn't mean God doesn't want us to have homes. God doesn't want us to have comfort. God doesn't want us to have a Camaro. Uh, but we're to be dedicated to God, right? And God says, that will even influence your family. Isn't that awesome? That's pretty cool. And so let's go back to our story. This is the, the guy who started all that. This is who Jehu is trying to influence and Jehu's kind of putting on this religious story, this religious front. He says, come look at my zeal. I'm going to give you an honest Clay moment right here. This week I asked myself, if someone came up to you, Clay, and said, show me your zeal for the Lord, what would you show them? If someone asked you, show me your zeal for the Lord, what would you do? What would your reaction be? I'm not going to ask you to do anything. But isn't that a challenge? Now, I kind of got you guys beat because I can point to these buildings. <laughs> but, I mean, think about it. If someone said, show me your zeal for the Lord. Where's your enthusiasm for God? Is it just maybe 
the bumper sticker on your car? Or have you really impacted the world? Let's keep moving because I'm so convicted. <laughs> Romans 12.11 and Galatians 4.18 both say we are to be fervent in the Spirit and in serving God. After God kind of challenged me and I was working on this, I wrote this down and, and this is not applicable to anyone in this room, but the church down the street, they need this. Listen to this. Too many Christians are on ice and not on fire for the Lord. That's pretty good, huh? Let me say it again. Too many Christians are on ice and not on fire for the Lord. You can use that, Bill. You can use that, Bill. Let's keep going. Let's see my zeal. What, what, what's your zeal for the, for the Lord? Uh, Jehu's zeal for the Lord was to wipe out wickedness, to, to clear Baal worship out of town and to, to restore God. Verse 17 says, And when he came to Samaria, Samaria he killed all, the, uh, all who remained of Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed them according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken to Elijah. So he was you know, obedient in that, but unfortunately... He killed some people he shouldn't have killed. Uh, verse 18. This is quite a story. How much time we got? My mom's with your children, so I don't want to go too late. Um, verse 18. And Jehu gathered all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Bel a little. Jehu will serve him much. Now this is a trick. This is deceit. But check it out. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Now therefore... Call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests. Let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu acted deceptively with the intent of destroying the worshipers of Baal. And Jehu said, Proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. And so they proclaimed it. Then Jehu sent throughout all Israel and all the worshipers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal, and, and the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. The place, the church was packed, man. All, all the Baal worshipers were there. Verse 22, And he said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, Bring out vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out vestments for them. Little side note there, man-made religion will always try to provide its own robe of righteousness. In the garden, what did Adam and Eve do when they were eyes were open to sin? They gathered fig leaf to try to to cover their own sin, right? Uh, religion is nothing more than a fig leaf. God provides us the spotless robes of righteousness to put on. Here the, here the pagans, they have to put on their own vestments. Verse 23, And Jehu and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, they went to the temple of Baal, and they said to the worshipers of Baal, this is kind of interesting to me. They tell him, Search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, but only the worshipers of Baal. Now, they don't want to kill the wrong people, but my question is this. Why would a worshiper of Jehovah be there? Why would a worshiper of Jehovah even consider putting on one of these robes? Yeah, you vet, yeah. You know. Unfortunately, there are a lot of half-committed, lukewarm people <coughs> professing to be Christians who are quick to compromise because they'd rather go along with, with the masses than stand for God. 
But at least Jehu says, you know, get, get the people out of there. Verse 24, so they went in to offer sacrifice and burnt offering. And now Jehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside and said, if any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escapes, whoever lets him escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other words. Uh, in other words, if anyone bails out, Come on, this is a rough chapter. I'm working hard to try to lighten it up. Don't let anyone escape. Verse 25. Now it happened as soon as he had made an end to the offering of the burnt offerings, he he lets them do their offering, (laughs) that Jehu said to the guards of the captains, go in now and kill him and let no one come out. And they killed them all with the edge of the sword. And the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal. Little side note there. How do you defeat sin? How do you defeat Satan? By the sword. We're taught in the New Testament book of Ephesians, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Friends, we talked about no Word of God shall fall empty, but it'll accomplish what it's sent out to do. Friends, use your sword to get your victory. Right? Verse 26, And they brought the sacred pillars out of the temple of Baal and burned them. They broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and they tore down the temple of Baal. They made it a refuge dump to this day. They turned it into to the cesspool, the latrine, the public sewage area. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. Now if we stopped the story there, it would be an awesome story, right? But it doesn't stop there. And friends, we need to make sure that we don't fall into what happens in the balance of verse 29 through 31. Because although Jehu did pretty good, look at the first word of verse 29 and underline it or highlight it somehow. However, oh, that's a, that can be a dangerous word. See, friends, it's one thing to get rid of the sin in your life, but the other side of that coin is we've got to get God into our life. Right? However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, who made Israel sin that is from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. Why did Jeroboam make those golden calves? Well, you might recall, he was afraid that when the nation split, he was afraid that the people would leave Israel to go to Judah, to go to, go to the temple to worship. So he made these golden calves and says, hey, it's too inconvenient to go to church. Sunday morning's your only day to sleep in. Right? It's more convenient to come to the golden calves. Well, that slowly evolved into pagan form of worship. Do you realize that you can worship God the wrong way? Oh, Clay, you're getting heretical. Jesus said, there'll come a day when true worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth. Well, let's talk about that because this is important. There's a way to worship in spirit. What's the opposite of spirit? Flesh. Modern church movement focuses itself on satisfying flesh, not spirit. I get church growth packets all the time. People want me to buy these things, and they have fancy lettering on there. Double your congregation size in in a hundred days. I need to make one, you know, lessen it by fifty percent in one Sunday. <laughs> 
But it's all catering to the flesh. Tickle ears. Play upon the senses. Right? Jesus said you will worship me in spirit. What's truth? Truth is the opposite of falsehood. Jonadab said these golden calves, that's your God who brought you out of Egypt. Anyone starts telling you stories about Jesus that doesn't happen in the Bible, that's a false Jesus. That's a golden calf, right? Jesus said, if you believe in me, as the scripture says, there are a lot of people talking stories about some Jesus that ain't in the scripture, right? That's why it's so important, and friends, that's why, that's why we just get in the word of God because the word is so attacked, Jesus is so attacked, and the truth is so attacked. Yesterday, I had a funeral for a guy that I grew up with. And because of time restraints, I didn't have a lot of time. But I was able to, to share the scripture that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I'm an option. He said, I'm it. So we need to make sure we have it. Right? Let's keep going here. He didn't turn away from the golden calves and these leaders again, um, you know, they were depending upon, they were, they were afraid that, that true, honest worship of Jehovah couldn't keep them in their cushy posi- positions. So we'll keep the people happy so that I can be comfortable, right? Friends, sometimes it's uncomfortable to worship God. Anyway, let's keep going. Verse 30. And, and so the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in doing what was right in my sight, and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, in other words, to get rid of the house of Ahab, your son shall sit on the throne of Israel for the fourth generation. And they do. He's the longest, uh, his family's the longest reign in, in, in their history. But, verse 31, Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? He didn't make it a priority to follow God. And look what happened. With all his heart, for he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam who made Israel to sin. Once again, speaking of this calf worship. And look what happens, friends, when we don't follow God, when we don't make God God and we start following the golden calves. Verse 32. And in those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel and Hazel conquered them in all the territories of Israel from the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilad, Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, from Aor, which is by the river Arnon, including Gilad and Bashan. Verse 34. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu, all that he did, all, that, all his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehu rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria when Jehazaz, his son, reigned in his place, and the period that Jehu reigned in Israel, in Samaria, was 28 years. Now, let me call your attention to verse 32 and 33. Because he did not follow God 100%, because he compromised in his lack of commitment, the enemy, Hazel, was able to very slowly, very subtly, begin to conquer and take away their inheritance. Friends, that is a picture of what happens to us when we give way to sin in our life, those victories that we had at one time over the enemy, those remember having victories over the enemy, and then you start 
laxing your commitment to God, you start stopping your, your prayer and your worship and church attendance and your giving and all that stuff, then all of a sudden, before you know it, the enemy has got that territory back. Well, that's what happens. Right? But here's the cool thing. We can repent and we can get victory again. Amen? That was a difficult chapter, but did you guys learn anything? Cool. Let's stand. Let's pray. Worship team, join me up here. Praise the Lord. Next week, we will see the revealing of the Son, the revealing of the true King. And it's a great story. It's a great picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Can't wait to share that with you next week. Once again, uh, we do have Bible study, men's and women's study tonight, but nothing this Wednesday. We will have prayer Tuesday, but again, nothing Wednesday. Well, if you're visiting, yes, no prayer Tuesday. Okay, so you guys got a week off. Praise the Lord. Amen. Um, and I heard on, on good authority that uh, pie has no calories Thursday. I, I, yeah, I believe that's in, in the book of Clay, chapter 2. Uh, <laughs> hey, seriously on that, don't forget to thank God for our blessings. You know, we tend to look at Thanksgiving and thank our forefathers, which we should be thankful to our forefathers for our awesome nation. But it's because of God that we have this awesome nation. It's because of God that we're here today. Let's don't get so caught up in pies and turkey that we forget God. Amen. If you're visiting with us, it might be a little bit weird, different church than you're used to. We're studying the Bible. We go cover to cover. We cover it all. And after our time of study right now, we, we close in a prayer. But after I say amen here, we open up the altars for a time of prayer. And we invite you that if, if you have a prayer need, if God is dealing with you, if you're struggling or whatever it would be, maybe you need to just praise the Lord. We have a time here at the altar where uh, Kelly joins me, the fellows join me, and we give you an opportunity to pray. Maybe you have a situation in your body and you need God to heal you. We'd love to anoint you with oil and lay hands on you. Pray the prayer of faith and let God heal you. Maybe, maybe you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. And today, in spite of my bad jokes, God has knocked on your heart and you know you need this Jesus I talked about. Maybe you find yourself like Jehu and maybe you've kind of relaxed your relationship with the Lord and maybe you're following a golden calf and you need to get back to the Son of God. Whatever it is, God's your answer and He wants to meet that need for you today. Amen? So I'm going to pray and as soon as I say amen, worship team's going to lead us in a song. The altars will be open. And once we pray up here, we'll, we'll dismiss in a, in a prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for your good word. Lord, personally, I would pray that our takeaway today would be verse 10, and that is that your word comes to pass. It may take some time, but we can bank on it. Father, thank you that you love us enough to scold us when we need scolding. Lord, thank you that you love us enough to give us a hug when we need that hug. Father, thank you for all of your blessings. Lord, I'm going to be quiet now in my prayer and quickly say amen and just trust you, Holy Spirit, to speak to every heart. Lord, whatever need would be in the house today, 
Father, we trust you to meet it and to supply all that's lacking. Father, today we trust you to break chains that might be holding us down. Father, today we trust you to break down walls that might be hindering. Father, today we trust you to mend relationships that might be hurting and recovering. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship God.